Last week we started on the teaching worship, recovering strength for the practical struggles of life. I read a long text, and I'm going to read it at the beginning of this message again because some weren't here last week, and the points require a knowledge of the account. And when you're reading from Second Chronicles, you can't just assume everybody in the church knows the story. Second Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to read pretty much the whole chapter. So, especially once you put your offering and follow along and catch the details of the story as I read. Second Chronicles 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Anamites, and with them some of the Menuites, came up against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from All the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land, Before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name. Saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine. We will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house. And cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless. We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. You tried those names. In the midst of the assembly, and he said, listen, all Judah. This is uh, Jehaziel now. Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. So he tells them prophetically the exact route the enemies are taking. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them. The Lord will be with you. End of quote. 
And then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the Kohathites, and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They rose early in the morning, went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, you will succeed. When he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. The steadfast love. That's what they're singing. And when they began, and when they began to sing and praise. There's a time element there. The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. And there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps, Leers and trumpets to the house of the Lord, and the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, and God gave him rest all around. Help us, Lord Jesus, as we tap into your word. Let life flow from it into our hearts, into our minds, the kind of life that has transforming power, not just an intellectual download. Draw us to yourself through your word. There's not one of us in this place who doesn't have tremendous potential for more spiritual growth. And we want that. In Jesus' name, amen. By the Lord, when we sang, how many knew what Lord Saboath means? It's the Lord of hosts. Many, Lord of hosts. Last week we worked through this same text that I took quite a bit of time reading. We looked at four lessons. First we studied the devastating battle facing Jehoshaphat. Not just one enemy, but three combining forces. And the future looked bleak indeed. And Jehoshaphat is called to worship. And what we kind of learn there is worship, fundamentally, worship has to do with battles, not emotions. And right there you deal with one of the fundamental flaws in the understanding of a lot of people who think of worship, especially corporate worship songs and expressive praise, they think of that as something, well, that's for those charismatic people. As far as I know, Jehoshaphat was not a card-carrying member in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. 
It's a Bible thing. And so here is Jehoshaphat facing extinction at the hand of enemies. And the lesson comes to worship. Worship in the battles of life. Secondly, Jehoshaphat was filled to the brim with fear. The text says he was afraid as the odds of the battle stacked up against him. And the lesson there was fear doesn't disqualify you for being either a person of worship or a person of victory. Third, in spite of the fear, Jehoshaphat determined to seek the Lord with all his might. And fourth, Jehoshaphat called all the people together to unite their faith in fasting and, and prayer together. And it's, and it's especially steps three and four that, that set the stage for the, the power of song as we study today. I want to look at that. It fascinates me in this text. That worship, is, worship isn't just lifting up empty voices. And it isn't just singing cool melodies and having a good band. That worship, worship stacks itself up on top of a foundation of prayer. The people fast. The people meet together. They call on God. They pray. And then they sing. If you, if you try and just have cool worship without the foundation of Bible and prayer and waiting on God, you just end up with religious karaoke. But it isn't worship. Today we're going to launch into, we'll see, four more lessons from this text. We'll continue the numbering. This is point five this morning. Jehoshaphat fills the people's minds with the might and power of God. You look at these texts in verses 5 through 7. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem. So he's, he's in the middle of the people. He, 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 he does this. He wants to talk to everybody. I don't know how that happened. There was no PA system. There's a, there's, there's a large group of people, but somehow... He stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, so right away, what he's doing is he's telling these people, here's the enemy, here's this desperate situation, but our God is a covenant God, God of our fathers. So this is not a new God who just doesn't know the lay of the land yet. This is a God who founded his relationship with us on promise. Fear can make you doubt God's promises. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I have. Fear can make promises look like squiggles on paper. Are you not God in heaven? You, you rule over the kingdoms of the nations. That's very relevant when it's the nations marching against you. In your hand are power and might. None is able to withstand you. And then let's go back with the people. He's doing this out loud. Let's go back with the people. Did you not, our God, 
drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? And they would think of previous battles. And Jehoshaphat would go over that with them. And, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. Now, those questions posed that I just sort of underlined, they're not asked, they're not asked to find out whether or not God is like that. God, are, are you really the one who rules heaven and earth? It's not that. This is not Jehoshaphat expressing his doubts. This is not just some official way of starting off a prayer time, you know, with religious phrases. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee. It's not not that. This is Jehoshaphat's way of getting the people together and saying to all of them, God, you are the one who rules heaven and earth. You are the one who presides over the nations. You have given precious promise to help your covenant people. And you are still that God in this desperate situation. Thinking like that doesn't just happen in the face of tremendous difficulty and fear. You, 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 I'm sorry, you regurgitate that kind of thing. You think it through all over again. And... Faith begins to rise among the people. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? This is so instructive. You can see how biblically passionate worship, it it feeds faith. It, it It isn't just like a locker room pep talk. Or some kind of release for emotional people. Worship, worship, worship songs should lift people's minds into the past works of God. They should focus on the present promise of God. And they should focus on the future help of God. That's what should happen when a congregation like Cityview gets together on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And we worship God. Past works of God, present promise of God, future help of God. That's what Jehoshaphat does with the people, out loud, in the middle of all of them. Point number six. God speaks through the prophet Jehaziel. I wasn't going to touch on this, and I thought, no, I want to talk about it for a minute. I won't read the whole thing. The Spirit of the Lord came upon, so here's Jehaziel. Son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite. That's important because the Levite, that was the priestly tribe. Sons of Asaph. What's with all those names? What's the reason for all those names? This is, this is God's way. This is God's way of establishing the credentials of his prophetic voice. This, this shows, this is tracing back uh, uh, a heredity of, of prophetic ministry and utterance. This shows the identity of the prophetic background of this man, Jehaziel, so that people would put their trust in his message. Worship can 
Worship can, if, unless you're going to slice out huge chunks of your New Testament just because you don't like them. Worship can be greatly enhanced by biblically regulated prophecy in the church. You can look at it in so many different places. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. But the gift of prophecy won't function properly when people just sort of, and this happens, when people just sort of splash around, I call them body of Christ Christians because they don't, they don't link up with any local church. They think they're bigger than that. And they just splash around from church to church to church and want to exercise their spiritual gifts to, to bless the Canadian church. I'll never forget when we had... How many remember when this place was just a hole in the ground being built and we were meeting at the uh, United Church? How many were there then? Let me see your hand. Wave at me. Yeah. I clearly remember because we had our service later on in the day and I clearly remember we were praying around the front of the church and it's a much smaller kind of a structure and a, and a guy came up to me. I'd never seen him before. And we were just kind of waiting around the front of the church. We were praying and he said... Uh, I got a prophecy for your church. Can I share it? And I said, I, I don't think I know who you are. I said, do you attend this church? He said, no, no, I don't attend any local church. I just got a word from the Lord for your church. And I just said, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. You can't. These people don't know who you are. These people don't know your background. Are you just, are you just out from some institution? Are you... We have, I didn't mean that in a cruel sense. I didn't say that to him. But my point was, there was no way of knowing. That's, what, that's what's happening in this text. A process of establishing credentials. A root of ministry that the people had grown to know and accept and trust. Point number seven. Jehoshaphat takes time to reinforce the faith of the people. It's in 2020. So the the deal here is this is the next day, okay? This is the next day. They're going out into the wilderness. And when they went out, so they're getting ready to go. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem... Believe in the Lord your God. You will be established. Believe his prophets. You will succeed. And I think I know what, Joshua, what Jehoshaphat is doing. You see, there's a big difference. There's a big difference when you're facing huge battles. There's a big difference between the way you can feel Sunday at church and the way you might feel Monday morning when you have to face that battle. Jehoshaphat reminds them all that God had promised the day before. So so what he's doing is, now they're facing the battle. He's encouraging them not to lose the ground that they had gained in the fasting and the praying of the day before. 
isn't this a very human text? You know what it's like you with Christian people and people are praying for you and the band is playing and the hands are raised and they're praising the Lord. And that's all good. I love that. And then, and then Monday morning, and oh, Lord. Is this darkness ever going to lift? When is this problem ever going to go away? And then very significantly, the people sense the resource of worship to face the battle of that next day. And it's in the 21st verse. When he had taken, when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army, the army's not going to do a thing, by the way. As they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. There is, I'm convinced, there is perhaps no passage in the Bible more clearly proving, I want to talk about this for a minute, the sheer, this was going to be the title for this message. The sheer power of song. That's what I was going to call it. The sheer power of song. The power of song in this story is is key to the health of worship. True worship, I know, it's more than just praise. I already talked about the foundation of, of prayer and waiting on God. And worship will always be blank without it. So worship is always more than just praise and song, but it's never less than. I don't know if I've ever done this um, in, in maybe quite these terms. I'm convinced in a church this size there are all sorts of people that sit through service after service and either never sing at all or just mumble because you don't have a good voice. And you're afraid of the person beside you, maybe your spouse. You're afraid of the person beside you hearing you. And you've developed the habit of not singing praise to the Lord. And I'm telling you, lovingly, it is costing you dearly spiritually. Even if you don't know it. It has nothing to do with whether or not you're a good singer. We cannot all be blessed with the kind of voice I have. And maybe more to the point, less humorous, it has nothing to do with whether or not you like a style of music or have a taste and preference for it. Or the church uses a particular style of music that you enjoy. It has to do with biblical instruction. Regarding how God calls us to worship him. Remember the importance. Keep this whole series in mind. Worship according to the instructions. Ask Uzzah. Remember Uzzah? Anybody? Ask him how important instructions are. About not touching the ark. 
The same applies here. It doesn't depend on whether or not you're a good singer or a monotone. It has to do with something in your heart that happens when you obey the Lord with the sheer power of song. God in heaven does not leave your engagement in song in this church up to your preference. The Bible commands that God be approached with singing. Let's read these out loud together. Go ahead. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Next. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. Next. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Not done. Next. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise benefits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Next. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. Did you get the praises in that one? Those are not suggestions. I'll read. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Do you you get the feeling... Just forget whether your background is Pentecostal or Anglican or Presbyterian or Baptist. Just forget that for a minute. Do you get the impression that, that God seems to be calling out some kind of passionate expression of worship? Anybody else getting that? It's not emotionalism, though emotion is in it. Let me tell you what it is it's obedience. It's obedience. New Testament, do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. How do you tell when people are filled with the Spirit? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with how much? All your heart, all your heart. You can't be too loud, too strong, all your heart. It's not just wackyism. Please notice what we did. I did it on purpose with that last reference. It's important to trace the transition of worship instruction and practice from the old covenant to the new. What we're looking at, and it doesn't happen with all the old covenant practices, but what we're looking at here is we're looking for reiteration, re-emphasizing, a reinforcement To show that this is still valid to the church today under the new covenant. We're going to give a whole teaching to that later in this series. This is a very important principle of biblical interpretation. Because not all Old Testament practices carry over into the new. We don't butcher sheep here. We don't burn incense. We don't have to wash our hands and feet as we come into the sanctuary. We don't do a lot of things that were specifically commanded 
by God under the Old Covenant. But then you come across some practices that are meant to be binding. They're meant to be permanent. And God has not left us in the dark as to which those things are. Singing is to abound in the church. It's to be held up as important. It's to be held up as vital in our worship of Jesus. So, so settle this point in your understanding right now. A, if you're not baptized, you're going to be. And B, you simply must approach God with song when he requires it. Paul explains why in that passage in Ephesians. Singing is, is one of the ways, one of the ways we keep our lives filled with the Spirit. It just is. That's how important the sheer power of song is. It's not optional in worship. I'm going to leave this point, but let me, let me just whack at it once more. Refuse to allow yourself, whatever your musical talent or background, refuse to allow yourself to live in the disobedience of mumbling your way through worship time because nothing will quench the Spirit of God faster in your heart. That's the issue. Be filled with the Spirit, singing. Oh, you can sing without being filled with the Spirit. What you can't do is be full of the Spirit and not sing. Eight. Victory possessed by the worshiping heart. Let me go to the last text, verse 23 and 24. For some reason, I can't find it. Not that one, is it? Yeah, look at that. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. When they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came to the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, behold, there were, there were dead bodies on the ground. None had escaped. The, 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 people, the people had done nothing but remind themselves of the greatness and power of God, pray fast, and then they had gone out singing before the Lord. And I wish I could, the very things, the very things that were marching on them, the very things that looked so invincible, the very things that made their future look hopeless, the very things they were absolutely powerless to control and deal with on their own, suddenly were laying on the ground, defeated. As the people worship the Lord. 
There's no faith healer in here. There's nobody uh, selling, you know, green anointed prayer cloths or snake oil from the valley of some place. None of that. The people worshiping. Give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. And the proof of that is the things that were marching on them suddenly, suddenly, are lying on the ground. I know this isn't the only story of divine victory in the battle. I get it. But it's one of them. It's one of them. And I believe it's recorded for a reason. God God seems to use a story like this to help me, to help me remember that I I can struggle bitterly through life or I can learn to sing and praise through life. And worship will win battles that I will never win on my own. That's what I learned. Anybody else need that lesson? Never let your pride sell the rest of your spiritual life short. When the church worships and sings, you make yourself. You make yourself enter in. Enter in, drawing near. And then let him enter the battles of your life. Let's pray together.